Uh, as you can see on the screen, um, we're looking at Isaiah 65 tonight, which is on page 1164. But while you're busy opening your Bibles, can you uh, turn back one page to 1163? I just want to read a few snippets out of Isaiah 64 for us. In Isaiah 64, it's like Isaiah puts together all the prayers of God's people. And they seem like great prayers. But when we get to Isaiah 65, God has an unexpected response to their prayers. So, Isaiah 64 verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah 64 verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. 64 verse 8. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. Verse 9. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Sounds like really good prayers, but when we get to 65, God has a slightly different view, I think, of what what they're saying because he's looking deeper than just their words. So, Isaiah 65, and I'll read to verse 17. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, Here am I, here am I. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat, who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. See, it stands written before me, I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay back into their laps, both your sins and the sins of your ancestors, says the Lord, because they burnt sacrifices on the mountains and defied me on the hills. I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. This is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and people say, don't destroy it, there is still a blessing in it, so will I do in behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them. 
and there will my servants live. Sharon will become a pasture for flocks in the valley of Achor, a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. But as for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword and all of you will fall in the slaughter. For I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. You will leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses. The Sovereign Lord will put you to death, but to his servants he will give another name. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Let us pray. Father, we need you. We need you to help us understand because again we remember that your ways and your thoughts are not our ways and not our thoughts. And your ways are much higher, much more pure, much more holy, much more righteous. So again tonight we pray, dear Heavenly Father, please come and teach us. Please open us up to your word and please Help us to listen to you. And we pray in the beautiful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. My involvement with children's ministry now spans to about 40 years, I think. And I'm still amazed by the number of questions that are unexpected and the number of answers that are unexpected. Here are a few questions of late. Mr Morphew, why do you have shark teeth? When a mermaid gets hurt, does it go to the doctor or the vet? Mr Morphew, is there McDonald's in heaven? You say heaven is great, is there McDonald's in heaven? God also is capable of unexpected questions and unexpected answers. In Isaiah 65, it begins with a response to the prayers that Isaiah writes about in Isaiah 40. 
And in general, the prayer goes something like this. Show yourself, God, like you've done before to our ancestors. Come down. We are unclean, unrighteous. Our sins sweep us away. You are Lord and Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. And then it finishes at the end of verse 12 with a question. Will you, uh, will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? The inference is that God is keeping silent and punishing them already beyond measure. Now, this prayer is a call for God to act, to hurry up. They still don't realise that God is not in a hurry. In holding himself back, so to speak, he is displaying incredible mercy and incredible grace in the light of the inevitable tidal wave of judgment which must eventually come. God's ultimate answer here is, it depends on your daily choices. There are two groups of people, two paths to walk and two destinations reached by divergent lifestyles which are the result of our everyday choices. God's unexpected response is initially this. This is not just about you, Israel. This is not just about you, Israel. In verse 1... He's speaking to the nations, the unknown nations, not his Israel. So he's speaking to a different audience. Don't you know that I'm not in the business of being quiet and hiding? So there are two groups. In verse 1, the nations or the Gentiles. And verse 2, onwards, the Israelites. And we know this, we can be sure of this, because if we look to Romans chapter 10, Paul says, he, he mentions both these verses and addresses one to the Gentiles, to us, and one to the people of Israel. Verses 1 and 2. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. All day long to Israel, all day long I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. They complain that God is not making himself plain. But God reveals himself to the world, through the world. Here I am, here I am, the I am, the eternal God who was and is and is to come, reveals himself through his creation. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Right from the beginning, the invisible things of God are plain to the eye, being understood 
from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God reveals to him himself to every generation. He is not hiding. Moreover, God reveals himself through the servant that Isaiah has been keeping referring to. And we know that this servant is Jesus. And Jesus, when he comes, declares, Here I am, here I am, the eternal God who was and is and is to come. And not that the people in Isaiah's time had the fullness of this revelation, but they are told there is no deficiency of revelation here. And no deficiency of accessibility to God. God can be known. It was Adam hiding in the garden from God, not the other way around. The prayers of Isaiah 64 have God with them. They have the prophet Isaiah speaking to them. They have received God's word. They also have the Torah. That should be on their lips. They have heard of the history of God's actions on behalf of his dear people Israel. And his devotion to them. But they make a choice to shun and avoid. Hence, they face continuing problems as a result of their poor choices. They have become an obstinate people. Not that they think they are, but they have become an obstinate people. They are set in their ways. They are stubborn to the extreme. So much so that over the years they have become hard-hearted. They have become stiff-necked. They can see no other way but their own way. And with each generation, the children are learning more quickly to become an obstinate people. In verse 2, they are pursuing their own imaginations. In other words, they're pursuing their own images of God. Their thoughts of what God should be like. Their thoughts of what God should do. Their thoughts of what should satisfy God. And overall, the standards that God should set for them as his chosen people and for others. Of course, God's standards for them and others are somewhat higher than they, they imagine. This is a gradual process, but an obvious process. And it's obvious especially to their loving father, who became a target of their provocation. They provoke God to his very face. They became a people who caused God's anger to increase at a greater rate than his sadness. 
they provoke him to his very face, but they don't realise how close God is. They will not let God be God. Even though they have acknowledged we are the clay and you are the potter, that their words declare that God is the one, the sovereign who shapes them, but their actions scream, you are but clay in our hands. We mould you to suit ourselves. You will be what we say you will be. And this problem of reshaping God, of remoulding God, is one that confronts us all. Uh, shaping God to fit into our lifestyle, to, to our wishes, to our likeness. Uh, a convenient God, and, and not the inconvenient God who wants us to live his way. When we get to verse 5, they push God away again. Keep away. Don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. Their irreligious practices make them think that, that they have greater righteousness than God, greater holiness of God. I am more sacred than you. Away with you, God. They want God at a distance. Even though, in their prayers, they say they want God to render the heavens and come down. They are living a contradiction. They are obstinate idolaters who provoke God and, in verse 7, even defy him. They are blind to who God really is. They are scared of the God who is love, pushing him away. They will not let God love them. I wonder if these are words that we need to hear today and every day. Let God love you. Let God love you. We tend to put it round the other way, don't, don't we? Love God. Love the Lord your God. Love God more. Let God love you. Don't push him away. Don't shut him out. Don't hide or run. Let God love you. Let God be God in your life. If these problems of obstinacy, idolatry, provocation, defiance continue, God will not punish them beyond measure. But they will be paid back in full. At the end of verse 7 we read, I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. Judgment will come. It will not be beyond measure. It will, however, be the full payment, which is much, much, much too much for them to bear. They think that God is judging them harshly. They crave for their idea of justice, their idea of fairness. 
all the time overlooking grace. And immediately God speaks a word of grace even in the face of provocation and defiance. In verse 8, this is what the Lord says, as when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and people say, don't destroy it, there is still blessing in it, so will I do in behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. This word of grace opens up the way to two divergent possibilities. I will not destroy them all is followed by these words describing his people, my chosen people, my servants, my people who seek me. These are the people who accept God's grace. They have let God love them. But in verse 11, there is an alternative. There are those who forsake and forget. They forsake the Lord. They forsake their creator. They forsake their saviour. They forsake their provider. They forsake love and grace. They gradually become so set in their ways through constant practice that they forget. They forget God. I do honestly wonder if that was my grandmother so set in her ways that she forgot God. It's as if she never knew God. Sportsmen these days talk about muscle memory. This is the ability uh, to repeat a specific muscular movement to improve efficiency and accuracy. So like those uh, NBL basketballers who after thousands and thousands and thousands of practice throws from the free line get up in a big game and in it goes, in it goes, in it goes. Muscle memory. Day after day of reshaping God, of pursuing their own imaginations, Israel has become exceedingly proficient at forsaking him, forgetting him, forgetting the true God. And so, again, in Romans 1, Paul puts it this way. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is to be praised forever. Amen. Their choices, their daily choices, their continual choices, make them guilty. Verse 12. I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. This isn't my occasional attempts at selective hearing when uh, Cass is speaking to me. Now, this is deeply, deeply ingrained behaviour from a constant choice. And so it becomes, you did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Love and grace are still on the table here. 
In verse 8, love and grace is still available to these people he's talking to. Love and grace are still available to us. But the time of reckoning is getting nearer. In verses 13 and 14, the distinction between the two groups is abundantly clear. God says, my servants will eat, will drink, will rejoice, will sing out of joy from the heart. They will be given a new name, which represents a new future. And if we were to keep on going to verse 18, they will be rejoicing forever. The forsakers, however, will be hungry and thirsty. They will be ashamed. They too will cry out, but from anguish of heart and brokenness of spirit. And they will meet death, having rejected love and grace. As Chris indicated uh, earlier, this division between light and darkness, faith and unbelief, service and rebellion, has dominated Isaiah. We, We see those images time and time again. Isaiah could equally be called a tale of two cities. And if he'd thought of it, he would have got in before Charles Dickens. One of the cities, the faithful city, the New Jerusalem is full of faithful people who are there solely by grace. The other group are faithless and doomed. These are two diametrically opposed outcomes of the choices made in life. Our daily choices are real choices and have eternal effects. The choices for us should be clearer because we've seen the Lord's servant at work. We've seen Jesus showing the Father's compassion and faithfulness, kindness, patience, love and grace. We have the stark picture of Easter displaying the stark choice. Jesus, a sinless one, dying between two sinners. One who abuses and accuses. One who forsakes his creator, forsaking his saviour, forsaking love and grace. One who still, in his dying breath, is provoking and defiant. God is closer to this criminal than anyone else. With arms stretched out for him. Yet for one last time, he turns away, he pushes away. The other man has provoked God, pushed him away, chosen what displeases God time and time again. Yet in all of his imaginations of God, he has never seen him like this. By grace, he sees grace. He sees love stretched out before him. I wonder how these words came out. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
I think there's still words of doubt. But, but they are greeted. They are greeted with certainty. He makes a choice to let God love him. To let God be God, even at the point of death. He has nothing to offer, so he lets God love him. There are good habitual choices that we make daily, like cleaning teeth, even shark teeth. We make faith-related choices daily as well. Are we deliberate in making good heart choices, good faith choices? Do we choose to follow Jesus each day? Each day do we declare, I am going to follow the Christ. Or are we learning to be forgetful? Can you remember the last day when you forgot about God altogether? When was the last time you chose to, to encourage someone here for their faith? There are many faith-related choices that we can make which God will use to grow us and to shape us into his true likeness. Today is another act of incredible mercy. God is holding himself back so that those who don't know Jesus might be able to respond to his call. Here I am. Here I am. So apart from being an opportunity to grow in faith today, it's an opportunity to invite someone to consider the faith today, to consider the way of Christ. And we have these sort of opportunities every day. We have an opportunity coming up for the carols. Who are you going to invite? Let's invite everyone we meet. Let them hear. Jesus say, here I am for you. We have opportunities every day. What will we choose today? Will we choose to draw closer to God or maybe step away? Our daily choices, seemingly insignificant as they are, shape us and shape our destiny. Lord Jesus, help us to choose well. Help us to choose to let you love us, to let God be God in our lives. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the abundance of your love shown in the Lord Jesus. Please help us not to shun that love. Please let us hear you speak day after day as we look at the world around us and as your spirit stirs us as we read your word. Please draw us closer and closer to you.
so that we might live to your honour and glory. For we pray in your Son's holy name. Amen.